You are listening to the 2HC Podcast from Christ Church of Oakbrook. Come visit our website, www.cc-ob.org. For me personally, I, I didn't grow up in a church. I, I never grew up going to worship regularly on a Sunday morning. Church was something that made no sense to me. It was not part of my life. It was not something that I ever understood when I was a young child, all the way through high school, actually, it was until I started going to church. And I remember when I started worshiping in high school, I started worshiping with a high school ministry. It happens to be this high school ministry here at this church was where I first came. And I remembered after I decided to venture out of the doors of high school ministry and try worshiping with, like, the adults upstairs or the adults down the street or the adults at my grandmother's church, I remember thinking, wow, there's a whole different world here. They don't all look and act and speak and dress like high school students, that the community of God is bigger than my own little high school world. And this video this morning, I think, was so funny because it sort of mocks the penchant that those of us in the church have for creating a worship experience that looks and feels and sounds just like we do. If you look around this room, most of us are white suburbanites. Most of us live in the same towns that connect us here. There's very little diversity on Sunday mornings. That's not a good thing. There is little diversity sometimes in how we connect with people. We try to find communities and gatherings that look like us, dress like us, talk like us, understand God the same way we do. We go to churches that, like I said, sort of look like us. And then when we get here, what do we do? We divide ourselves even further, right? The kids go one way. The singles go another way. The high school students go one way, right? We kind of divvy ourselves up. And there is some of that that is good. That is not to say this is necessarily a bad thing. But this morning, what we're going to talk about is the celebration of Holy Communion, which is the most unifying symbol of the church. It is the place that we come as a body of faith to connect to one another to connect to believers across the suburbs, across the country, around the world, to connect with people of every size and shape and color across the world and around and throughout history. And so I want to think together in our minds about the ways that we divide ourselves, the ways that we do so perhaps via that video, and I want us to think about it in the context of this very unifying meal. A meal can be one of the most life-giving experiences that we have. How many of you have a memory of a really great time that you had around a dinner table at someone's house? Yeah. Maybe it was a wedding. Maybe it was a celebration at Christmas. And, you know, it's not always easy to gather around the table. How many of you also have a horrible story of a meal gone wrong, right? (laughs) Family dysfunction can often come out at the dinner table. Especially, actually, if you have very young children. I have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. And I, I also hate to cook. I hate cooking. I, I fix food. I don't actually cook food for my family. And one night, I dared to actually cook my family a meal. I was going to make them chicken tetrazzini. Noodles, chicken, it seemed like a pretty easy kid's meal. I had everybody around the table. I had my husband sit down. He came home. It was like the 1950s. I was like, the table is set. Come have a seat. 
And everybody sat at the table, and I laid the kitchen, the, the chicken tetrazzini platter on the table, and all three of my children instantly at the exact same time screamed, <laughs> screamed, what is that? And I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. And if you're a parent, you can understand there are two sort of reactions you can have as a parent when things go wrong. The first is, well, this is life. Let's roll with it. Let's let them scream. Let's make the best of it. And the other is, I'm going to crack down on this. This is going to stop now, right? And so my husband and I looked across the table at each other, and we had this sort of like, which way is this going to go look? And I kid you not, my eyes were starting to well up with tears because in my mind I had a dream of total togetherness that night. That my children, the two-year-old, would share from her soul the best part of her day. And my husband looked at me, and he looked at my three children, one of whom, my third child, actually had the audacity to launch himself off of his chair and onto the floor at this point and was kicking and screaming about the chicken tetrazzini. And Joel said, he goes, it's going to be okay. And he started clapping and he said, the Oscar winner is Danny Bianchi. He gets the award for the best performance for the anti-meal, you know, whatever it was. He made something up. And my kids suddenly like perked up. They're like, what's an Oscar? And we started talking about the Oscars, strangely, but it turned out to be a good meal in spite of the tension and the drama at the table. That one of us made a decision at the table at that moment to capture the division and the crying and the fit and the drama and turn it into a positive direction. We chose to take that family meal, the one that I was ready to break into tears over, the one that they were screaming over, and make it a unifying event. This meal that we are going to share this morning, this coming together as communion, is as simple as that. It is a family, the family of God coming together, whether we want to be there or not, whether we're kicking or screaming and giving Oscar performances on everything that's wrong with the church and the meal and everything else. It's about us coming together, getting over all of those things and connecting to one another in a simple meal. Communion can be one of the most mystifying experiences of the church if we allow it to be. There are so many side conversations that happen around communion. And whether you come from a Roman Catholic background or a Lutheran background or a more Presbyterian background or no background at all, this can, at first glance, seem like one of the oddest things. There's a great theologian, he goes by the name of Tom Wright, and he talks about communion and what it means to people on the outside looking in. And he actually likened it to a Martian who had come down to planet Earth and observed for the very first time ever a birthday party. He says, if you were from another planet and you had no idea what a birthday party was and someone said, hey, come with me to a birthday party, it would be an odd experience. And Tom Wright goes on to unpack how, unpack how you would show up and you would see people wearing pointy hats and you wouldn't quite know what that meant. And there would be a cake that would be on fire at one point in the party. And you might wonder, why are they setting their food on fire? And why is there a pile of things that are given to the person with the pointiest hat who's unwrapping them and they're screaming and howling and they're excited about these odd little packages? And then everybody eats the cake that was on fire and then they get a goodie bag and go home. How would you explain that? And Tom Wright says communion is a little bit like that. He says, if you don't fully understand, it can be confusing, and that's okay. But what we wanted to do this morning was have a conversation about demystifying 
one of the greatest mysteries, actually, of Christian faith. And it is simply this. If you were to come here today, you would wonder, well, why are they saying they're drinking the blood and eating the body of Christ? Did you know in the early church, the earliest days of the church, Christians were accused of cannibalism? Because if you overheard the liturgy of the early church and you heard somebody say, take my body, this is given for you, eat it. Drink my blood, this is the new covenant. People would listen to that from the outside and cry cannibalism. It can be confusing. What are we doing when we come here together? What we're doing is participating in the symbols of Jesus gathering us together around a common meal. The Roman Catholic Church believes that actually there is a moment in the prayers over these elements that they actually become the actual body and blood of Christ. We actually don't believe that, but we do believe that when we gather here together, there is something special about having this bread and this cup together in this room that is very different than if we were to do this, you know, just at our own dinner table. That Christ is present with us this morning when we pray and we offer the words of institution in a powerful way, a different way than he is in other parts of our worship. And that by celebrating this together, what we are doing is remembering the history of the church, the faithfulness of God, and the generations of people who've gone before us and will come after us. And we are celebrating our risen Lord together. And because we do that, we get nourishment, not because this white bread has tons of vitamins in it that we need, but because it actually is nourishment for our very souls. That this participation in these elements together are a connection to God in a very unique and special way. John Calvin calls the sacraments outward symbol, outward signs of an inward reality. And that's what participating in this meal is. It is an outward sign of the inward reality that God is alive and well and working in our very souls. And it's not just us alone coming to the table, but it is the communal activity, the community of God. God is community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they exist together as community. There is no participating in this meal without participating in it together. So we have the very real experience of Christ and his presence with us, and we have the experience of one another together. And one of the other beautiful things we have is the shared history of the people of God who've gone before us. You know, when Jesus himself gave this meal, it was called the Last Supper, as we call it now. And what Jesus was doing with his followers was entering into Jerusalem, and he was celebrating the Passover, the Jewish Passover, which is the Jewish celebration and remembering of God leading the Israelites out of hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. And to get out of Egypt, God cursed many of the Egyptians by killing with his wrath, the firstborn sons in many of the homes in Egypt because they were enslaving his people. And what God said to the Israelites is this, take a lamb and slaughter it and spread the blood from that lamb over the doorpost of your home and I will pass over your home and I will not destroy your family. That is what pass over is. It's God passing over. It's God sparing 
his people. So what Jesus was doing on the night that he gave the last supper was celebrating that passing over. He was celebrating the sacrifice of that lamb that made it possible for God's people to continue on. He was celebrating the shared history and the tradition of the church. And when we participate in that today, we tap into that Passover meal. Jesus tweaked it a bit. He probably stressed out those who were gathered around the table with him because they would have been expecting traditional prayers and a traditional conversation. And what Jesus gave them instead were these words that said, well, this blood is my blood and this body is my body and I'm going to die for you. Stephen James said they probably got whiplash (laughs) when they heard him unpack their tradition in a new way because tradition is important. We like to be part of tradition. We want to understand tradition. And when someone messes with tradition, it can be unsettling to us. But Jesus took that tradition and instead of obliterating it, he said, I have come to fulfill that tradition. So the tradition actually lives on. We actually live on together, connected to our Jewish ancestors of faith. You know, tradition is fascinating. It's, it's, it's part of an experience sometimes that is unexplainable. It is part of the communal experience of communion itself. How many of you have a, a college team or an alma mater that you, you love, that you wear the t-shirts, you fly the flag, you're at the football game or you're watching it on TV? I have a friend who graduated from Notre Dame. He has a brick from the stadium when they redid the stadium or something like that. It is his symbol of the tradition of Notre Dame. I didn't go to Notre Dame. Hanging out with him makes me wish I graduated from Notre Dame. When I see the movie Rudy, (laughs) I wish I went to Notre Dame. It's this like shared history. It's tradition. There's something very like mysterious and awe-inspiring and all-consuming about being part of a tradition. In a much more powerful way than Notre Dame, this is a connection to that tradition as well. It is a connection to community. It is a connection to to tradition, that Passover meal coming to us through Jesus. And it is a connection to to freedom. This is the last thing I'll say about it. It is a connection to freedom. There is a confessional element to this meal. You see, when I gathered for chicken tetrazzini with my kids, what I wanted as the mom, after all the drama was over and everybody ate, what I really wanted, didn't get, but really wanted, was one of my kids to go, mom, I'm sorry I cried about eating your meal. I wanted somebody to say to me, I'm sorry for taking the gift you gave me and mocking it, abusing it, misusing it. That's what I wanted. And granted, my children were little, and so they probably, if I said, tell me you're sorry, they would have said, I'm sorry, can we go play Wii now? And they would have run off, you know. But for us, as adults, when we apologize for something and we really mean it, there's a deeper moment there, isn't there? There's a moment of freeing ourselves. When you can actually look somebody in the face and say, I am sorry for what I did. I am sorry that I have acted like that, that I have ignored you, that I have not paid attention to your needs. I am sorry that I gossiped about you, that I spoke poorly about you. It is an opportunity to confess to one another 
where we've wronged each other. It is an opportunity to stand clean before God himself. Because God says to us, I love you. Here's a little plan for how life on earth is supposed to go down. And if you can stick to it, you're going to be okay. And most of us, all of us being sinful, say, well, you know, I don't like the plan there. I'd rather take it in this direction. And when we do that, what we say to God is, I didn't, I don't agree with you. And communion is an opportunity to gather together and confess that, to free ourselves from that so that we can be together freely. We can rightly remember that tradition and we can confessionally enter into this time of breaking bread and taking the cup together. Communion is designed to free a community to live into the tradition of God to live into our call as followers of Jesus on this planet. That is what this meal is. It can be complex if we let it. And for those of you who are theology jocks, that's great. I've got some great books if you want them. But really, to sum it up, it's simply coming together around a meal, eating together, drinking together, connecting with one another because we are ultimately connected with God. Last week, I had the joy of sharing a meal with some friends. We went out to celebrate something. And I sat around a table with a few friends, and I looked from eye to eye to eye around the table. And I thought, this is good. It is good to laugh together. It is good to connect our hearts to one another. It is good to connect our souls to one another. And all of us had had moments where life was great and where life was hard. And all of us probably had questions for one another. Well, I wonder why she emailed me this way one time. And I wonder what she meant by this. Or, you know, there were questions about our relationships. There were questions about where we all were in life. But the beautiful thing was, is that we were together around a simple meal. And that was a life-giving experience for us. That is what this is. Together around the table. Sharing in the celebration of God. So if you would, open your Bibles with me. We are going to do something that um, I think is, is a great opportunity to connect us together. You're looking at 1 Corinthians. If we can get the slide up on the screen, the, next, the scripture slide. We're looking for 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20. Uh, oh, look, it, we have it up there this week. So if you don't have it in front of you, you can read it this way. So this is what we're going to do this morning together. We are going to read the words of institution together this morning. It connects us in the tradition of the church. These were the words that Jesus said at that last supper, the last words that he had at his meal with his friends. It connects us to thousands of years of church history. It connects us to one another in this room today. So what normally a pastor stands up here and says, we're going to read and do together. And then I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to take communion together. And as we do that, I want you to think to yourself about your connection to God, your connection to the people in this room, and whatever piece of you needs to confess to either someone in this room or to God to confess the heaviness of your soul and to take the bread and to dip it in the cup and to know that in doing that, Jesus meets you in that moment and forgives you, and blesses you, and blesses us as a community together. Amen? All right, let's read this together. 
For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this gift. For a big loaf of bread and a big cup, and the opportunity to meet with you because of it. Forgive us, Lord, for the places where we have sinned against you and sinned against our brothers and sisters, perhaps those who are here or those around the world or those in our own homes. Forgive us for when we've done things our way rather than your way. Free us, Lord, to commit to one another, to commit to you, and to receive your blessings because of this loaf and this cup. We thank you for this time, and we pray that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen.